6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck begins his teaching on the book of 2 Chronicles, chapters 29 through 32. Let's bow our hearts for a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the opportunities before us. We pray, Father, that you would just use these opportunities to help us each understand more completely just who you are and the extremes you've gone to on our behalf. We pray, Father, that you just reignite in each of us a new hunger, a new passion for your word as we just turn our hearts to you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, we're in Second Chronicles, and we're going to be focusing on chapters 29 and 32. And I want to, just, re- just by way of quick summary, First and Second Chronicles were probably written in the same time and probably by the same people as Ezra and Nehemiah. It's generally ascribed to Ezra, having pulled this all together. Uh, it could be him directly or it could be a team working under his jurisdiction. Scholars are, there's, there's, there's all kinds of uh, non-conclusive evidence to support those views. But clearly, First and Second Chronicles, Ezra and Nehemiah, uh, really uh, are, emerge out of the return from the exile. And uh, so the chronicler, as I speak, is the author, or certainly the penman for the team that, that pulled these arguments together. Uh, the first uh, uh, chronicles, of course, deals with the genealogies all the way from Adam to the return from exile, and uh, focuses, uh, that's the first nine chapters, and then the rest of it focuses on the reign of David himself. Second Chronicles, first nine chapters, uh, focus on Solomon himself. But then the rest of it that we're into now, of course, is the Davidic dynasty. Focusing on the kings of the southern kingdom. Northern kingdom went from bad to worse. We're not spending much time on them. We're focusing on the southern kingdom. And specifically from a spiritual perspective, the chronicler is editorializing. He emphasizes some things uh, and de-emphasizes others. But that's uh, what he's dealing with. The monarchy, of course, divided into the southern and northern kingdom after Solomon. When Solomon dies, Rehoboam takes the southern kingdom, but Jeroboam takes the northern kingdom into idolatry. And the, they, they, those two are rivals until finally the northern kingdom, which goes from bad to worse uh, in, in 21 kings and um, gets wiped out. First and, uh, first and second, third and fourth kings in some Bibles are, as we probably have it, as first and second Samuel, first and second kings, is the political history from Samuel to the Babylonian exile. The book of Chronicles, the first book, is parallel to 2 Samuel, pretty much. The second Chronicles really carries, encompasses the same thing as 1 and 2 Kings, from Solomon right on to the Babylonian captivity. And so we're obviously getting right in the middle of that. And so we had Ahaz... Uh, last time we had, uh, we've said in the past, there are five outstanding kings. A number of, probably about ten good ones. About half of them in the southern kingdom are good ones. I don't think there's any in the northern kingdom you'd call good. They just went from bad to worse. But in the southern kingdom, we had some that were really bad, some that weren't so bad. Um, 
I'll call them good ones. But there are five that are really outstanding. Asa, Jehoshaphat, Joash, Hezekiah, and Josiah. And I think pretty much most commentators would see Hezekiah, the subject of tonight, to be the best of the bunch, the most outstanding king in the southern kingdom. And so we'll just jump right in here with Hezekiah. Um, he began to reign when he was five and twenty years old and reigned nine and twenty years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that David his father had done. That's, that's strong language. Now the northern kingdom has already fallen to the Syrians. So they're no longer a major player here in that regard. And uh, now the... Uh, uh, and the people had been deported in long, large numbers in the Assyrian captivity, but there were still many residents still in that region. And we'll see allusions to that that will be very illuminating as we go. Now, popping back from Chronicles to Second Kings, there's something they mentioned that I want to make sure we included. It's very trivially mentioned as far as the chroniclers concerned, but I think it's worth mentioning to us here. So I'm going to pop to Second Kings 18 which speaking of Hezekiah says, he removed the high places and break the images and cut down the groves and break in pieces, and, uh, and that, that's all good of course, and break in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. Now you may recall in Numbers 21, I'll, I will flop, flop back there and take a look at that, for unto those days the, ch the children of Israel did burn incense to it, and he called it Nehushtan. In other words, when you get to the days of uh, Hezekiah, this has become a problem because this brazen serpent that was prominent back in the days of the Torah, back in Numbers 21, was still around being worshipped. And, and he's calling it a thing of brass, Nehushtan, a thing of brass. Let's back up and let's get a, get a view of this thing here. This is Numbers 21. The people spake against God and against Moses, wherefore ye, have ye brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this light bread. They didn't like the manna. Bad news stuff. The Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. And these snakes may have been a kind of adder that was very, that's known in the sandy wastes of uh, Sinai, very poisonous. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have been spoken, we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he may take away the serpents from us. And, so, and Moses prayed for the people. So, they, that's, so they're really upset. God, Moses goes to the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, or actually a brass serpent, and set it upon a pole. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it upon a pole. And it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. Now, first of all, if God chose to give them a remedy, this is kind of a strange one. A brass serpent on a pole. A serpent is a symbol of sin. Brass is a, is the, was the metal that could sustain fire. So Levitically, fire and brass are synonymous. But this is a very strange remedy for God to choose. And you can read the entire Old Testament and find no explanation. This makes no sense, and it is not explained anywhere. In fact, it is this piece of brass that becomes a fetish 
something being worshipped. So when you get to the days of Hezekiah, he's perceptive enough to realize that's dangerous, and he destroys it. It's a thing of brass. Boy, we need to understand that. What's the significance of this? Now, 1 Corinthians 10, Paul tells us in verse 11, All these things happened unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. The world for examples in the Greek is tupos, which is from which we get type, like a prototype or an archetype, something like that. It's a figure, an image, a pattern, a prefiguring, if you will. That's why we call a prototype, a type in advance, and so forth. Okay? So this is a pattern. See, to the... To the well, I'll come back to that. It's the patterning. When you get to John chapter 3, Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night, and among other things, Jesus explains it. For the first time in the Bible, you understand why. In verse 14, it says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So suddenly, standing back, you realize God, in Numbers 21, was deliberately anticipating Jesus Christ. He used that idiom to take care of that problem, but in such a way that it would uh, uh, be the pattern that God would use. Uh, now, why a sin? Why, 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 uh, why a brass serpent? Because it's sin being judged. Sin being a serpent, but it's brass sustaining its judgment. What's interesting, this event gives rise to the best-known verse in the Bible. Verse 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish and have everlasting life. So, that's, 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 so getting back to, to, to Hezekiah, who destroyed the brass serpent because it had become a fetish, we need to be, remember that, how dangerous things can be. Shroud of Turin. Many people take that very, very seriously. It's most dangerous if it is authentic. I don't think, it, it think it's pretty, some things have disproved about it, but the point is, set that aside. That's not the issue. To the extent it's authentic, to that extent it's dangerous. If somebody really had a piece of the cross of Christ, that's dangerous. To the extent one would tend to take it seriously. Because it's Nehushta, thing of brass. Anyway, getting back to Hezekiah, he destroyed the thing of brass. He trusted in the Lord God of Israel, so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor any that were before him. That's quite a statement in the Bible. That's that of Hezekiah. For he clave to the Lord and departed not from following him, but kept his commandments which the Lord commanded most. Don't you wish that our report card would read that way when we're through? Boy. Now, he makes some mistakes. He doesn't say he didn't make some mistakes. He, made some, he makes a couple of mistakes, but still he, 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 he was faithful. Content, going back to Second Chronicles 29, And in the first year of his reign, and in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. Remember, they'd been nailed shut by his predecessor. So he goes to the temple, and he takes, tears it open so they can get into it. He brought in the priests and the Levites and gathered them together into the east street. And he said to them, Hear me, Levites, Levites, sanctify now yourselves and sanctify the house of the Lord God of your fathers and carry forth the filthiness out of the holy place. For our fathers have trespassed and done that which was evil in the eyes of the Lord our God and have forsaken him. 
and have turned away their faces from the habitation of the Lord and turned their backs. So he's, he's this is the king telling him how it's going to be. Also, they have shut up the doors of the porch and put out the lamps and have not burned incense nor offered burnt offerings in the holy place unto the God of Israel. Wherefore, the wrath of the Lord was upon Judah and Jerusalem, and he hath delivered them to trouble, to astonishment, and to hissing, as ye see with your eyes. That's the State of the Union speech by Hezekiah. For lo, our fathers have fallen by the sword, and our sons and our daughters and our wives are in captivity for this. Now it is in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord God of Israel that his fierce wrath may turn away from us. My sons, be not now negligent, for the Lord hath chosen you to stand before him and to serve him, and that ye should minister unto him and burn incense. And that's in the positive sense. Then the Levites arose, and Mahath the son of Amaziah, and Joel the son of Azariah, and the sons of the Kohathites, and the sons of Marai, Kish, and the son of Abdi, and Azariah, the son of Jehalalil, and of the Gershonites, and Joah, the son of Zimma, and Eden, the son of Joah, and the sons of Elishaphan, and Shimri, and Zeel, and the sons of Asaph, and Zechariah, and Mathaniah. May they forgive me for mispronouncing all those names. And of the sons of Heman, and Jethiel, and Shimei, and of the sons of Jedathan, and Shimei, and Uziel. And they gathered their brethren and sanctified themselves, and came according to the commandment of the king, by the words of the Lord, to cleanse the house of the Lord. And the priests went into the inner part of the house of the Lord, to cleanse it, and brought out all the uncleanness that they found in the temple of the Lord, into the court of the house of the Lord. And the Levites took it and carried it out abroad into the brook Kidron. So they, with all their comrades, they took everything they could find that was impure. And uh, so... Hezekiah is following exactly the thing that's in Deuteronomy 12. They cleanse the temple and get it back into shape. Now they began on the first day of the first month to sanctify, and on the eighth day of the month they came to the porch of the Lord, so they sanctified the house of the Lord in eight days. In the sixteenth day of the first month they made an end. We're going to have a calendar problem here coming up. So for eight days they did everything inside the temple, another eight days everything on the, on the uh, first eight days on the, everything on the outside, the next eight days everything on the inside. Then they went into Hezekiah the king and said, We have cleansed all the house of the Lord and the altar of the burnt offering with all the vessels thereof and the showbread table and all the vessels thereof. Moreover, all the vessels which the king Ahaz in his reign did cast away in his transgression have we prepared and sanctified, and behold, they are before the altar of the Lord. So they're all set, but they've missed Passover by two days, right? Sixteenth day of the first month? Okay. Then Hezekiah the king rose early, gathered the rulers of the city, and went up to the house of the Lord. And they brought seven bullocks, and seven rams, and seven lambs, and seven he-goats for a sin offering for the kingdom, and for the sanctuary, and for Judah. And he commanded the priests, the sons of Aaron, to offer them on the altar of the Lord. So they killed the bullocks, and the priests received the blood, and sprinkled it on the altar. And likewise, when they had killed the rams, sprinkled the blood upon the altar. They killed also the lambs, and they sprinkled blood upon the altar. And they brought forth the he-goats for the sin offering before the king and the congregation, and they laid hands upon them. And the priests killed them, and made the reconciliation with their blood upon the altar, to make an atonement for all Israel. For, for all Israel, the term here is referring to the entire nation. They're in the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom is, a major portion of it has been deported. But this is for all Israel. For the king commanded that the burnt offering and the sin offering should be made for all Israel, 
I think that's interesting. We don't have ten tribes lost. We've been through that previous times ago. I want you to be sensitive to that whole issue as we go forward here. And he set the Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals and psalteries and with harps according to the commandment of David and of Gad the king seer and Nathan the prophet for so was the commandment of the Lord by his prophets. So they got the musicians in all their places and uh, so they're all set to go here. And, uh, and the Levites stood with the instruments of David and the priests by the trumpets or with the trumpets. And Hezekiah commanded to offer the burnt offering upon the altar, and when the burnt offering began, the song of the Lord began also with the trumpets and with the instruments ordained by the king of Israel. So this is very similar to when Solomon brought the ark to the temple, if you may recall back there in 2 Chronicles 5. And all the congregation worshipped, and the singers sang, and the trumpeters sounded, and all this continued until the burnt offering was finished. And when they had made an end of the offering, the king and all that were present with him bowed themselves and worshipped. So they, in effect, bowed themselves. They actually prostrated themselves. And, and, and uh, moreover, Hezekiah the king and the princes commanded the Levites to sing praise unto the Lord with the words of David and of Asaph the seer. And they sang praises with gladness. They bowed their heads and worshipped. Then Hezekiah answered and said, Now ye have consecrated yourselves unto the Lord. Come near and bring sacrifices and thank offerings in the house of the Lord. See, they've done the compulsory part. Now they're doing the voluntary part, so to speak. And the congregation brought in sacrifices and thank offerings, as many as were of free heart, burnt offerings. See, so some of that was following the prescription. Now it's, it's it, it, the analogy you might draw. You have your tithes, but you haven't done an offering until you've made your tithe. Your offering is what comes beyond what you required, is the idea. Okay. And the number of the burnt offerings which the congregation brought was threescore and ten bullocks, a hundred rams and two hundred lambs, and all these were for a burnt offering to the Lord, and, and the consecrated things were six hundred oxen and three thousand sheep. But the priests were too few, so they could not flay all the burnt offerings. Wherefore their brethren the Levites, now they weren't priests, they were Levites, you understand the difference. A priest was a Levite that was a direct son of Aaron. The rest were called Levites. When you saw Levites and priests, the priests were Levites too, but they're a special class. They're under... Anyway, at this point, their brethren, the Levites, did help them till the work was ended, until the other priests had sanctified themselves. For the Levites were more upright in heart to sanctify themselves than the priests. <laughs> and also the burnt offerings were in abundance for the fat of the peace offerings, the drink offerings for every burnt offering. So the service of the house of the Lord was set in order. So all this, sees, all this has occurred in the first month. caused lots of rejoicing. Hezekiah rejoiced and all the people, that God had prepared the people for the thing was done suddenly or quickly. Now we come to the great Passover, chapter 30. Hezekiah sent to all Israel and Judah. Let's stop for a second. Who is he sending to? The northern, what's left of the northern kingdom. They, Assyrians had taken a large number of them and deported them. They no longer exist as a kingdom. There's still people living there. These are the tribes that people think somehow got lost. As God sent to all Israel and Judah, and wrote letters also to Ephraim and Manasseh, these are the largest segments of the northern kingdom, that they should come to the house of the Lord of Jerusalem to keep the Passover unto the Lord God of Israel. The very fact that they're living up north implies that they were in many generations of idolatry. But they're nevertheless, come on, join us. Get your act together here. For the king had taken counsel and his princes and all the congregation in Jerusalem to keep the Passover 
in the second month. It may surprise you to know that Passover does not have to be in the first month. There are conditions where it can be observed in the second month. And that's in Numbers 9, verses 10 and 11, among other places. So they, they weren't ready to do it in the first month. So they're going to celebrate Passover appropriately according to the Torah in the second month. For they could not keep it at that time because the priests had not sanctified themselves sufficiently, neither had the people gathered themselves together in Jerusalem. And the thing pleased the king in all the congregations. So they established a decree to make proclamation throughout all Israel from Beersheba, way down south, to Dan, that's way up north, that they should come to keep the Passover unto the Lord, God of Israel, at Jerusalem, for they had not done it of a long time in such sort as it was written. So this is a big deal. This is the great Passover. So the posts went with the letters from the king and his princes throughout all Israel and Judah. No confusion here, right? And according to the commandment of the king, saying, Ye children of Israel, turn again unto the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Isn't that interesting? The Lord God of Abram, Yitzhak, and Israel. You always think of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The word Jacob and Israel are interchangeable. When it's Jacob, he's in the flesh. When he's got his act together, he's called Israel. The name is applied. It's not used interchangeably. It's used subtly. But here we're talking about things are getting together right. The God of Abram, Yitzhak, on Israel. And he will return to the remnant of you who are escaped out of the hand of the kings of Assyria. And be not like your fathers and like your brethren which trespassed against the Lord God of your fathers, who therefore gave them up to desolation, as ye see. Now be ye not stiff-necked, as your fathers were, but yield yourselves unto the Lord and enter into his sanctuary, which he hath sanctified forever. And serve the Lord your God, that the fierceness of his wrath may turn away from you. Sounds like a good proposition for all of us. For if you turn again unto the Lord, your brethren and your children shall find compassion before them that lead them captive, so that they shall come again into this land, so that your Lord God is gracious and merciful and will not turn away his face from you if you return unto him. So the poster passed from city to city through the country of Ephraim and Manasseh, even to Zebulun. But they laughed them to scorn and mocked them. No surprise, they've been in idolatry for many generations. Nevertheless, divers, various ones, of Asher and Manasseh and of Zebulun humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem. So there were some among them that turned faithful. Also in Judah, the hand of God was to give them one heart to do the commandment of the king and of the princes by the word of the Lord. And there assembled at Jerusalem much people to keep the Feast of Unleavened Bread in the second month, a very great congregation. So we have the people coming together to celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and uh, uh, the seven-day festival followed immediately after then the Passover. And they arose and took away the altars that were in Jerusalem, and all the altars for incense they took away and cast them into the brook Kedron. And they killed the Passover on the 14th day of the second month, and the priests and the Levites were ashamed and sanctified themselves and brought in the burnt offerings into the house of the Lord. And they stood in their place after their manner, according to the law of Moses, the man of God. The priests sprinkled the blood which they received of the hand of the Levites, and there were many in the congregation that were not sanctified. Therefore the Levites had the charge of the killing of the Passovers for everyone that was not clean to sanctify them unto the Lord. See, normally the laity 
See, it may surprise you, a Passover is not a Levitical feast. Passover was given by the head of the family. The laity slaughtered the. They had to go take the temple to have them blessed, but it was a it was a uh, uh, one for every household kind of thing. And uh, so they. Uh, but here, the laity wasn't cleansed enough to do that. So the Levites stepped in. To, they recognized that he stepped in to do that for them, because of the, the the apostasy that they came out of here. So they were ceremonially unclean, and so they couldn't slaughter their own Passover lambs because they weren't ceremonially clean. But that's, a, that's why the Levites had to take charge of killing the Passovers for everyone that was not clean. They're trying to accommodate the, the, the laws for the situation. And for a multitude of the people, even many of Ephraim and Manasseh and Issachar and Zebulun, had not cleansed themselves, yet they did eat the Passover otherwise than it was written. But Hezekiah prayed for them, saying, The good Lord pardon every one. Well, he's got a, he, he, when, as soon as Hezekiah realized this, he, he uh, prayed on God that, that he might be pleased. He might be more impressed with the sincerity of their hearts than the, mere, the, the, the matters of ceremonialism here. So Hezekiah prayed for them, saying, The good Lord pardon every one that prepareth his heart to seek God. The Lord God of his fathers, though he be not cleansed according to the purification of the sanctuary. And the Lord hearkened to Hezekiah and healed the people. So that's all. This is just a great refreshing change from you know, everything that's gone before. And the children of Israel that were present at Jerusalem kept the Feast of Unleavened Bread seven days with, uh, with great gladness. And the Levites and the priests praised the Lord day by day, singing with loud instruments before the Lord. And so we know that the, the essence of God's grace is, 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 is evident in the fact that He uh, have a favorable response to the prayer. And so uh, they're all praising God with joy. And Hezekiah spoke, uh, spake comfortably unto all the Levites that taught the good knowledge of the Lord. And they did eat throughout the feast seven days, offering peace offerings and making confession to the Lord God of their fathers. And the whole assembly took counsel to keep the other seven days, and they kept other seven days with gladness. So they extended the whole party another week, okay? <laughs> That's pretty cool. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of 2 Chronicles. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org. You can also call us on 1-800-K-HOUSE-1. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, visit koinoniainstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word. Music